Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Four, three, two, one. I told you before to be careful where you put your legs. I was only trying to be helpful. I can help myself. What are you waiting for? Come on. Come on. What are you waiting for? Come on! Come on! For seven decades, Michael Caine has been among the world's most renowned and recognisable actors. It was just what I needed. A one-inch god with a two-inch penis. Star of classics like Zulu, The Man Who Will Be King, and The Cider House Rules. It's a miracle no one was killed. But also films that brought his career to the brink of complete implosion. I made a mistake. Somehow, he has always found a way back. You're a big man, but you're in bad shape. With me, it's a full-time job. In this epic podcast series, we will watch and review every Michael Caine movie, from the greatest hits... You're only supposed to blow the bloody doors off! ...to the incredible misses. You failed to maintain your weapon, son. And take a deep dive into the life and work of one of the world's most recognisable film stars. His name is Michael Caine, and no one will forget his name. To understand how he has made... The Mark of Cain. Well, you all settled in? Right, we can begin. For God's sake, come in! Hello and welcome as always to The Mark of Cain, our trip to all the hot spots and the not-so-good spots in the film career of Michael Cain, reviewing every film by the great man to piece together what makes this man the extraordinary movie star that he is. Now, I'm Michael Foley and joining me as always is Stephen Black of the Mallow News Twitter feed and its accompanying book, Veteran now of 22 Michael Caine films. Now, Stephen, you crossed what to me is a major Rubicon the last day, watching Z and Code, the last movie. Now, we've dipped very rarely, to be fair, towards the lowest mark for Caine in the past, but we've, we've never actually gone there, but you went there. You went one out of 10 for Caine in Z and Code. And I've been thinking about that since. I'm wondering, did you go too soon? Did you go first of all, school? first of all, I'd like to pull you up on your maths. I would say zero would be le- would be less than one. Uh, also, also, uh, and I, th- I, I, I have faith in the in, in the big man. I have, a fa- I have faith that I'd be applying that mark at some stage in the future. Uh, I'd like to go back as you as you mentioned a veteran now of twenty odd podcasts. I'd like to maybe check in where I am mentally speaking in in, in this pilgrim's uh, progress here. Mm-hmm. Do you know the way on a bank holiday weekend where you'd be, you'd be sat at home watching the six o'clock news and they go to some item about some fucking idiot who's, who decided, who woke up in the morning the salt was brighter and said, do you know what, I'm going to climb a mountain. And they had yeah. to be fucking air, airlifted off by, uh, um, by mountain rescue at about fucking three o'clock in the, you know, or three o'clock in the afternoon suffering for severe uh, dehydration simply because they left the house wearing a pair of fucking Crocs and carrying a can of Red Bull and a protein bar as sustenance. And, and you're, you're, what? And saw the fog at the top and said, ah, oh, that'll have cleared by the time I got up that high. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, my attitude has always been, I wish they died for the fucking Egypt. So imagine if that is somebody who actually needed help, you know, mm. and you've distracted simply because you fucking, you sprained your ankle or, you know, you're suffering from mild fucking hypothermia. Well, I've now, I've now after 20 odd uh, films of Michael Caine, come around to uh, a different way of thinking. I feel somewhat of a sympathy. I think it's basically that person had the right idea. Mountain climbing in Ireland is not fucking difficult. It is basically slightly complicated walking. Okay. So left the house with the best of intentions, got out of their depth and had to be rescued. I'm just wondering at what stage will, uh, 
will Mountain Rescue come in and help me out here? Because I did find myself suffering from a mild case of hypothermia watching pulp. <laughs> yeah. When I kind of feel my, my fingers slightly t- turn blue, kind of worried about worried about whether or not I should kind of c- call in the fucking SAS or whoever, or the Rangers, to give me a dig out. Because things ain't, things aren't getting any better here, like. No, no, no. And I, I seem to remember at the very, very beginning of this, like the very first episode, we actually describe it as a kind of Everest climb. So I don't know where we are in this, but you're right. We're, do you know what it feels? It feels like we're caught in a classic cane spiral since Get Carter. It's just been some awful, dreadful, sticky, very hard to clean muck. Very hard to unsee some of the films that we've seen since Get Carter. Like, I have a feeling we're going to be the cautionary tale that they tell other climbers as they bring up the sides. You'll see those two lads frozen, uh, hugging each other um, yeah. in the nude because that's what happens when you get fr- uh, hypothermia. You know, or, or, or your brain sickness. You throw all your, you come really, really hot, and you throw all your clothes off. Uh, those two naked lads frozen to death there, giving each other, uh, giving each other a loving hug. That's what happens when you don't prepare. Yeah, number one, the Hulk wouldn't be loving. Number two, I think you're just kind of reliving some class of a fantasy you possibly might have. And number three, I'm not a I'm 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 not a big hugger stroke handshaker. So I think at best you'll get a kind of thumbs up from slightly from the other side of the mountain or the little crevasse or whatever, wherever we'll eventually be found frozen in the general vicinity of each other. I'd say if you thought the hug might get you close enough to me so you could take a big chunk out of my shoulder to get enough kind of rich white meat to sustain you for maybe another 30 minutes, you'd probably do it. You're all fat and gristle. And go for the shoulders at the best bit. I don't know. I don't know. Hopefully we won't have to come. Hopefully we won't come to that pass, but God only knows. And you know what? Here's the thing. Like, we knew what we were getting into, but I genuinely thought, you know, I thought it would be later on in the time. Like, people people kind of said, oh, you know, Jaws, um, what else? A shanty, the swarm, the swarm, the swarm is everyone's one, the swarm, right? Lads, you've never seen Zianco. You've never seen Pulp or Plup, as I end up finishing it by the, calling it by the end. Like, hurry sundown. Oh, Jesus wept. Like, we are not even, we're barely, like, we're, put it this way, in, in climbing terms, we haven't even taken a suck from the oxygen tanks yet, like, and we're kind of looking at each other in that way of, like, tell my wife I loved her. Yep. And as always, Mick, I'll take every opportunity to tell your wife that you love her. <laughs> Thanks, you're you're a really good friend that way. Yeah. Um, yeah. Can he so, not tell me himself? No, no, no he's not from no. that generation. I'm not. I'm not. I I I don't handshake, and I'm I'm not a, I'm not a, I love you person. I am. I am. Stop. I'm not going down this road. This is more for you know keen questions. You're, you're an emotional. Shut up. No, no, no. This I, is an, this is. It's time for this intervention no. to take place. Look, you're. It, it, you need to give more. You can't just bottle it all up inside. You'll explode. No, I'm not. I'm not answering quest- these questions from you. I'll answer them from the listeners, but I'm not answering them from you. Now, so here we are. Okay, let's just get. Let's just do this because, um, oh God, in oh God in heaven is all I can say. Uh, okay, so it's 1972. I have to say, McCain is not looking hectic, even though like there has been articles written about the clothes that he wears in pulp. He's not looking great, in my opinion. Choices aren't good. I had more hope for this one. He looks like a lesbian Jarvis Cocker. Yeah, he does. He does. He's back united with Mike Hodges, the director of Get Carter, and Michael Klinger, the producer of Get Carter. This is their baby. This pulp is their baby. He's playing it for laughs this time as a sleazy, crumpled sort of pulp novelist. 
and looking every inch the loosh. This is Kane as Mickey King in Pulp. I have a vital message for you. Do you feel uptight, tense, taut, nerves quivering like a violin string, everything closing in on you? I knew it. That's why I am here. To tell you a simple word, a word that will give you immediate release, make a new man or woman of you. And yet the secret lies in one easy to remember Anglo-Saxon four-letter word. Why don't we cut the crap and talk straight? Certainly. The word I am about to tell you will soon be on everybody's lips. It is... Pulp. Big mouthy killing the whole spiel. Ladies and gentlemen, the word is pulp. P for laughs, U for excitement, L for action, P for fantastic. Pulp also contains the following magical ingredients. Is he still alive? That's the way it is, bright eyes. I'm getting some very bad vibrations. Okay, 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 okay. I'm not happy. I'm not happy at all, right? I'm not sure if this it's is because... because it's, as we discussed, you're an emotional shut-off and you bottle things up and you don't express your feelings. Well, it's all freaking coming out now, I can tell you. I'm not sure if this film caught me in a bad day or whatever, but I just think this is just genuinely god-awful. Like, I like to I like to think, right, that may, maybe compared to you with Kane so far, I, I maybe, I'm, maybe I'm wrong here, but I think I, I've been given the films a bit more leeway than you, right? I'm less quick to judge, let's say, right? But I just don't like this. Pulp... The film is basically meant to be a sort of a, a humorous, in-jokey sort of take on a noir film kind of thing, you know, based around a Pulp Fiction novelist. So you've got all that sort of hard-boiled noirish stuff going on, all these the sharp, the sharp one-liners. I've always thought I should read more Pulp Fiction novels, but I probably haven't because I just can't really be arsed. I just don't really, I'm not really into it. It's fine, like, but when it's done badly like this in a film, it's fucking painful and like and in this film it's done really badly and it's all oh, Kane oh. who does avoid can I give you three can I just give the people three examples alright so we're talking about Pulp Fiction so Kane is Kane is Mickey King this novelist and he's given a voiceover throughout telling us the story and his inner monologue and whatever right but it's full of these kind of Mickey Spillane style hard boiled kind of Pulp Fiction type lines so can oh, I just oh. stop you there can yeah I just stop you please. there yeah. Uh, uh, could you uh, give me the name of that famous Kerry footballer, Dodgy Knees? What's he called? Pat Spillane. All right. And again, go back to that novelist. Mickey Spillane. What's the difference? Why, why, are you, why is it not Spillane? Because it's, it's Spillane in, in Temple No, and it's uh, Spillane you, in America. Where are, you fucking, where are you recording this fucking podcast? Hollywood, <laughs> is it? <laughs> yeah. 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 Hollywood County Down. Yeah. Let me give you these lines. Let me give you these lines. The air had the must. I could probably do it in some kind of a noir. The air had the musty smell of dried up dreams. The old man, he fixed me with his eyes. We dialed each other's numbers and got straight. <laughs> this is not noir. This is this is the fucking mafia. This is Simpsons mafia. It's terrible. It's terrible. Every time. Oh, he's talking about driving now in a car with someone. Every time he changed gear, my suntan vanished. Oh, Jesus wept. Plop. It's plop. It's not pulp. My favorite was uh, he had eyes like bloodshot oysters. What the fuck? What the what? 
and the fucking voiceover is just incessant. I mean, oh, all yeah. visual media, you show, you don't tell. This is, I mean, why didn't they just fucking cut out the middleman and release an audiobook? Because it is incessant. It is dull. It is not sharp. It is dull. It's like fucking the everything, the jokes land with all the subtlety of the fucking bomb in Nagasaki. It's just... Bleh. Like Mike Hodges directed and wrote Get Carter. I mean, he he adapted the the novel. Uh, uh, but Jesus Christ, I mean, why you'd have the arrogance to think that not coming from a comedy and background that you could just write a comedy is beyond me. It's far more difficult to do a comedy than it is to do a straight action movie or a drama, because it just is. It's a, it's it's a mm. fucking it's a fact. Right. Amazing. You made the point Daddy before. Has- you, you made the excellent point before yeah. that the best directors have a really good comedy in their locker, on their CV, in their portfolio. But for, yeah, I mean, like, you know, Billy Wilder's probably the, the like, Billy, uh, but even Billy Wilder didn't, didn't write all of the scripts, you know, that be so he, but he had a great eye and ear for humor mm. and for drama and was able, you know, was able to, was able to do it. Much, 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 much better than Mike Hodges does here. He is no, he's a tin ear for comedy. Uh, and McCain is just, it's like somebody just, you know, those, pa- those, those pallet trucks. Yeah. You know, you went up and you, it's like somebody just brought him to set on one of those and just kind of tipped him in front of the camera. <laughs> and he's just, I'd say, like the, the most listless performance I've seen to date. It's just like, you know, serialized <laughs> over the camera. I'd imagine he did all the voiceovers in, in a bath. Just down a telephone. It was the soul little energy to it. It's supposed to be laconic, but it misses laconic by fucking five country miles and ends out in completely disinterested and just I've made a terrible mistake. Let me just cash yeah. the check and we can move on to my next bad decision. <laughs> like it's not like he can apportion blame here to anybody because it's their baby. I'm like going back to your point up about the the voiceover. The reason, well, part of the reason why there was a voiceover was because. Michael Klinger, who's the producer, okay, he first came across Mike Hodges in a in a TV show. The name just escapes me now. It was on in the late sixties, and on that TV show that Hodges Hodges put together, there, there was a voiceover. So he always liked that. I think you also have a bunch of lads who love noir, like Humphrey Bogart is Kane's favorite actor. Okay, Hodges writes this. Like, I mean, and I mean, I talk about Kane has to bear the brunt of the responsibility for this. Like Hodges came to the two lads after Get Carter, said, look, lads, I just, I'm just trying to get away from the heavy stuff. I've written this script. Have a look. See what you think. I can bin it if you don't like it, but it have, see what you think. And the boys go, oh, yeah, let's do that. Kane goes, yeah, yeah, let's, let's do that, right? So, like, he's, again, he's fully invested in this from the beginning, but you're quite right. You can see it. Over the course of the movie, he clearly realizes that this is... He just kind of gives up. It's filmed in Malta. It's meant to be filmed in Italy because it's, there's a kind of a mob thing on with it. So they tried Italy, but apparently the real mob caused a problem in terms of you know, you know, protecting. Even the money. mafia didn't. This was even the mafia didn't want to be associated with it. Yeah, so they went to Malta instead, which Kane didn't like at all. Apparently, there wasn't enough trees. Whatever. So he just wasn't. He wasn't a happy bunny overall. But they, but yeah, look, we get into maybe we get into the detail of sort of his remin- his memories of it, which are sketchy to say the least. Um, will I go through the plot now? Do you want to say that before I go? Plots through for, plots for, plot should be fairly fucking quick to summarize because it, it's like 
It is what it is. It's not as complex as they'd like to, as, as anybody involved in it seems to think. It's very straightforward. Yeah. Well, I tell you what, I give my version and you can give the, 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 the proper version when I'm done, right? So anyway, Pulp, 1972. Kane, he's playing Mickey King. He's a pulp fiction novelist who's spewing out this succession of violent and fairly lewd books under a variety of pen names that we'll get to later on. They're so lurid that in the opening scene of the film, the typists at the transcription service he uses are nearly fainting at the prose and, and the gay manager of the typing pool has to pat the sweat from his brow, having met Mickey to give him back his tapes. Uh, another, He's another Kane character who's catnip to the ladies and the gents, even though he looks like he's been wearing a suit for a fortnight. Um, he's met by this mobster-looking guy played by Lionel Stander, who to, to a certain generation is Max from heart to heart. And he's offered a large sum of money to go write an autobiography for a mystery celebrity. Uh, he agrees to meet this guy. He takes a five-day bus tour. It's just dire stuff where he meets a guy called Miller, who's played by Salazzo, basically, from The Godfather, the guy who comes in and tries to take over the Corleone operation, um, who he later finds dead in his own bath after a room mix-up. Um, uh, Kane, Mickey King's contact, turns out to be a girl who kisses him, of course, within 30 seconds of meeting him. Cue more awful voiceover. Lots of burning lines looking to be quenched and all this carry on. He gets to the guy's house. Turns out it's this chap called Preston Gilbert, who's played by Mickey Rooney, who's playing a famous actor who portrayed mobster who's now a bit washed up. But someone wants him killed. Turns out it's this Miller character. So the highlight of the meet with Gilbert is some Kane dancing. Uh, he dances for about 20 seconds. Out of time, of course, like to a completely different record. But there may be an argument, Steve, we can get back to this later, that the film was worth it for the dancing. But anyway, there's a big birthday party for Preston Gilbert, who's clearly a total dose. Um, he gets killed by Miller, who's dressed up as a priest. He died in the bath, but he didn't die. He also tried to take Kane out, but only ends up shooting a couple of musicians or something. Um, so he gets away. So Mickey King, the Pulp Fiction novelist, turns detective. He meets a clairvoyant, oh God, employed by Gilbert, who gives him an envelope containing an address, a picture of a hunting party and a picture of a girl. He heads to the address, meets a guy who brings him to a very weirdly fresh, gr freshly dug grave on the beach and tells him this story. And the guy, by the way, another Godfather connection is Amerigo Thought He was the assassin in Godfather 2 that Michael Carleone used. So eventually Mickey King starts to put it all together. The girl was killed during a rape with members of this hunting party that includes this very famous local politician, Cipolo, who's running for office again. So hence, everyone is trying to kill Gilbert because he knows the story. And now they're trying to kill King, Michael Kane, in case the story gets out. So Miller comes back on the scene down at the beach. He kills uh, Michael Corleone's assassin. King gets hit in the leg. He weirdly runs over Miller in a car then. In a kind of naked gun style, it's like, like he wily he wily coyotes him. He completely wily yeah, coyotes totally him. Totally wily coyotes him. He buries him in the sand, like like inches into the sand. It's Nordberg at the end of the naked gun. You know, he falls off the top yeah. of the stadium and just gets run over. Heads off to a funeral after raving the cheap A Bogart looking like turns up, tells him to. Oh, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. And uh, it just ends with an actual boar hunt happening, and it's all very sleazy. As I said, this is a production made with his own cash with Mike Hodges and Michael Klinger. All I'll say, and I'll leave it to you after this, Stephen, you've got Mickey Rooney, a washed-up movie star in 1972, playing a washed-up movie star, and you've got Kane apparently doing everything he can now with his career to also become a washed-up movie star. Yeah, uh, I won't give my own version of the pl uh, plot because that was that's essentially what happens. It makes no sense. You have the, it takes, I'd say, the hour, the movie's in like an hour, I want to say an hour 37 minutes. An hour, oh, an hour and a half, yeah, about an hour and a half. Yeah. It takes an hour for Mickey Rooney's character to be killed. It takes an hour 
an interminable hour where you go from, as you say, setting him up like to be this man whose writing is so erotic, so dirty, that he brings a dose of the vapors to anyone who reads his uh, prose. Mm. Uh, they spend time on him being recruited by Lionel Stander. They spend like fucking 20 minutes on a bus tour. Yeah. <laughs> where they decide for some bizarre reason to 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 give viewers uh listen to the inner monologue of all the passengers. And That's you cool. never you never encounter these people again. There's one piece where Mike Hodges actually remembers where he's directing a movie and he does this actually really nice tracking shot throughout the hotel. Mm-hmm. Uh and then probably forgets it and goes back to the, you know, the car crashing motif which runs through the film which apparently i'd say mike hodges must have been, must have been a big fan of silent movies as a kid because he, he thinks that the height of comedy is cars crashing i think there's at least four or five times cars crashing this movie and oh. it's played for laughs and it's yeah. just dreadful brutal it's dreadful brutal. i mean and just to throw it in at this point it's not a point we're going to labor but this yeah. for hodges also wasn't it was a kind of like a political statement he was very it was very much kind of there was a rise again at the far right in italy at the time so he was kind of making a pseudo political point and all this, that to be brutally honest with you, I, I don't even want to get into, I, I just have no interest. The, f- the film is so God awful. I just don't want to go there. Yeah. yeah. As you say, an hour until you get to the, to, to meet Mickey Rudy's character, Mickey Rudy's character gets killed after 10 minutes, I'd say 10 minutes. And then the last 20 minutes of the movie are spent. Oh yeah, we might as well solve this. What's it all about Alfie? And most movies would have, the him meet I would have said Mickey Rooney's character in the first 20 minutes set him up as being a complete nutter dose uh, have the murder happen around the halfway mark and then kind of focus on the mystery who did this is kind of done as an afterthought mm. and the way that the mystery is saw essentially he kind of stumbles his way uh, to Clairvoyant Clairvoyant gives him three clues uh, like a small child uh, doing a, a, a fucking treasure hunt he goes off Meets, uh, meets uh, again, another piece of humor. Uh, again, Mike Hodges seems to think people with missing arms is another uh, point of humor in the movie. Yeah. Uh, meets meets uh, his co- uh, meets this guy in, in the village, goes down to the beach, where, again, I'm not like I'm not really an expert on, on, on tides and whatnot, but possibly one of the worst places to, to bury somebody in a grave would be on the beach because what with the tide yeah. coming in and out, it would be impossible to maintain it. Like, you this- have this perfectly... Mi- 10 years, the grave is there for 10 fucking years they've established. So 10, year, 10 years, perfectly maintained. Goes about telling him the story. And when he mentioned the fact that there was a, what he, what he referred to beautifully as a gang bang, gone awry, that all of these, it's not that he saw that, he goes, oh yes, no, I remember it was in the papers. How, you know, you got to go, you, you forgot the story about the boar hunt and the gang rape and the girl who died. Uh, but now it's just coming. Oh yes, I remember everything came back. To, uh, everything's coming back to me now. There is not even a, a hint of him actually solving anything. Again, it's like Kane in this movie. He's just kind of stumbling from one scene to, oh, to another. This is terrible. terrible. And then the damn squib at the ending, and he's he's oh that fucking Humphrey Bogart. Like they, a guy, an American comes in playing what he thinks is an FBI agent, and you kind of go, oh, he looks a bit like Humphrey Bogart. That's a bit odd. And then you realize the whole point of them casting a guy who looked like Humphrey Bogart was to put him in a scene with somebody who looked like Peter Lorre to deliver the worst Maltese Falcon gag you could think of. I mean, if you think in your head, what is the worst Maltese Falcon gig or gag you could think of? Well, maybe they're on Malta. Are they in a scene with a Falcon? And what if them ask the other, what's that? And you go, that's a Maltese Falcon. And can I just I, make I the point that it's only funny if you're watching the film knowing that they filmed it in Malta. It, it, it's not even funny if you knew it was filmed in Malta because it's it, nobody would find that funny. No, like it, I would, I would, I know going back to the seventies and things were different and people had you know different standards of humor. But I would find, I mean, 
I I would be angry angry at anyone who found that funny. This, by the way, just to just to put this and put this in a little bit of modern context, this film has had a I wouldn't say a rebirth, but certainly it's been rehabilitated over the years. It is now considered something of a cult film. It has a cult following. There has been quite a bit written about it, and it is very well remembered by people. Mike Hodges uh, got a letter from J.G. Ballard, the writer, kind of, you know, lauding pulp the film as a kind of a lost classic. I'm not having any of that crap, crap, crap. Ladies and gentlemen, the word is pulp. P for laughs, U for excitement, L for action, P for fantastic. Ladies and gentlemen, the word is pulp. Ladies and gentlemen, the word is We'll be getting into the Kane performance. I'd like to start first with, with how he looks, okay? So, like, at this point now, okay, so it's 1972, so Kane's born 1933. He's 39 years of age, okay? He's off the fags, right? Shakira is definitely on the scene by now, so he must be easing back on the bottles of vodka. Um, he's very tall, carrying a little bit of timber, as they say, but he wears the same suit all the way through the show, bar one polo neck. And I'm, I'm shit you not. Articles have been written in tribute to the suit. Would you like actually? Would you like me to read the paragraph desc- so describing what he what he was wearing? This is taken from an article written in tribute to the suit from Pulp. Well, I just seem churlish of me to say no because you you've got all the effort. Well, I'm going to fucking do it anyway. Whether you say no or not, right? I'm kind of again. I'm going to adopt my my poor new Irish sort of um, accent if that's all right. Again, oh, no, I'm, no, I'm, sure. I again I'm going to do it whether you want or not. Like, but. Okay. So he's wearing white corduroy single-breasted suit, ventless with wide lapels and two-button fastening, low-waist trousers with boot-kick leg, plain black leather belt with brass buckle, beige side zip ankle boots, high neck light blue striped overlaid on geometric pointed collared shirt, single cuff with double buttons, brown woolen kipper four in hand necktie, thick black frame eyeglasses with straight bridge and pink lenses. That's what he wears. So that was bad. That was better than the first, uh, the, the first attempt, which is kind of more like, "Hey, what are you going to do? Well, what I are think, you going to see?" Well, I thought this was this was this was more voiceover at the start of a Superman Metropolis yeah. city to to a million people. Yeah, I'm I'm channeling Dragnet. I mean, for the worst, for for the first one, it was kind of more Mickey Spillane. Hey, how you doing? I got a story to tell you. You know, don't waste my time. I'm not going to waste my voice. You know that kind of way. But anyway, look, whatever. 
it's a, it's a, he just looks he looks like a piece of paper that has been crumpled up and shun into the bin and someone pulls out the piece of paper and straightens it all out again yeah he's he's hair is a is a creation of its own uh, in this movie it looks like it was you could actually you can smell the secondhand smoke and saliva that was used to flatten it down you know <laughs> it looks like a, basically like a lego helmet yes it's got for for you know for for irish political uh anoraks it's got that kind of desi o'malley crimp going on as well that kind of uh, a, a young end of kenny a young end of kenny mm, yeah yeah it looks like there's an owl living in it it's just i i don't get this kind of oh yes michael kane the icon of cool i i'm not seeing it i don't understand why there are articles being written about this look you know, there's sure fucking they write articles about anything these days. You know, like you'll never guess uh, what child actor now looks like this piece of shit. You know, this yeah, people will write anything about anything if they're given the space. Because go back to actually to your kind of ratatouille suggestion, I would have I would have far more enjoyed this movie. It turned out that that Michael Caine was being controlled by the owl that lives in his hair. Oh yeah, <laughs> with all right, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah, that was, that was far more entertaining. I seem to remember again. It feels like a million years ago. We come up with a much better uh, kind of a plot outline for the Battle of Britain as well. Maybe we could do something around pulp. So what you're talking about is having a Pulp Fiction novice who's controlled by a bird in his head. Not in his head, an sorry. Hour. In his hair, an owl. His hair. Like Ratatouille. Okay. Okay. Yeah. That We'd have to come up with a point upon, uh, upon along the lines of Ratatouille, which, uh, given we're both expert improvisers, I'm sure uh, we won't be able to do in this, this podcast. But we could, also, we could always do a drop in and make it uh, look like we were very, very sharp during Absolutely. today's recording. Insert yeah. pun here. Um, Owlatouille. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> do you know what? It's a kind of movie that may well have been an Hootatui. old there. I Hootatui. think may... Hootatui. Please stop. Steve, please stop. Hootie and the... No, sorry. Forget it. Um, I think... I, 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 do you know what? It's a kind of movie that may well have already been an owl in there pulling the levers, to be brutally honest with you. Um, the owl tease falcon. Please stop. Please, please stop. Um, where do you want to go with the Kane performance? The voiceover you mentioned, it's deliberately pulpy. Keep in mind, this is, by the way, they're trying to make a B movie here. But it's a rubbish B-movie. I just want to make that point before we go any further. I have a lot of points I'm trying to make. Sorry, go on. They are trying to make... Are they trying to make... It's, I, I go back to the old William, uh, William Goldman thing. Nobody ever goes out... To, nobody ever sets out to make a bad movie. Uh, but occasionally you come across things like this. You kind of go, you didn't exactly set out to make a good movie either. No. no. Like the... the no, you think, I know I've never been to Malta, but I mean, I would hope it, it looks better than it's... Uh, Kurt, uh, that it's kind of portrayed on the screen here like uh, it's not like he's, he did for new for the for the for Malta what he did for newcastle and get carter you know <laughs> like, it just looks ordinary there's no, you know there's no shots to, or kind of or vistas of this that you kind of uh, give you any sense of scope or anything like that a uh, keen at his performance like i said you know, most movies aren't shot sequentially. I, if you, maybe the dancing scene was day one, and that's where he was giving it his one hundred percent. And mm. then he slowly realized that you know this is going to shit. Was like, Do you know what, fuckers, I'm not going to give this any effort at all, uh, because Mickey Rooney, yeah, he's there, he's giving it at all, but he's give, he's giving it his all in a kind of a you know a plucky nineteen thirties, nineteen forties kind of hey, it's me, <laughs> Mickey Rooney. I'm going to act now. Yeah, <laughs> by jumping, by doing a little bit of a wobble on my feet. And shouting at everybody. Gemini Jellickers. Gemini You say your line, I say my line. Uh, there's a dreadful scene where he pretends to be a waiter because uh, it's his party trick to go over to pretend to be a waiter and drop spaghetti in the patron's uh, laps and it's all very magical mystery tour. Uh, uh, it's just brutal. And no, it's just... It's just 
Yeah, we'll get to the stage. Like, I this is no Z and Co for me. I was able to watch this uh, fairly easy at no stage. Did I feel like gnawing my fingers off um, or trying to jump through the through the window to escape or out the window to escape? This is just it's just bad, it's but just it's bad. watchable. It's it's watchable bad because you could and it's because it's not too long. I mean, it's about ninety odd minutes long, as, as he said. So you can look at a George test for that today. So it's like go to the de- it's like go to the movie dentist for just to get your teeth cleaned. It's not like you're getting your wisdom teeth done. Right? It's just like yeah, no. this feels this feels unpleasant, but it's not going to take long. And at the end of it, no fuck it, I'll be slightly better off. And I am slightly better off. I've seen McCain dance. Never saw yeah, McCain dance before. You're quite this is my right. takeaway. You're quite right. I, I mean, I, words fail me when to, to to describe the dance. There is a gif. I think we will almost certainly put it up on. I, on I created the gif especially for you, and I'll share yeah. it. I'll share it with the with the the our extensive following yeah. on the socials. Yeah, I mean, is there any point in even trying to describe it? It's like he kind of does a shimmy. He goes down, tall man goes down, shimmy and comes back up, kind of moves through like he's pushing people away with his arms. And I yeah. don't know. Yeah. It's mad. It's, yeah. It's fantastic. Um, who else is in there that we could possibly comment on? Lydell Stander. Lydell Stander, who I never never knew before, was a victim of the HUAC in the, in, uh, the 1950s. Really? Uh, was uh, yeah. Uh, a house for un American. Uh, the house of un un American. What was activities this? committee? Activities, sorry, yeah, yeah. It's open for the Joe McCarthy's crowd, and he got indicted for uh, for being a uh, an upstanding member of the Communist Party. Okay. Stood by his guns, didn't inform on anyone. Good lad. Good fair um, Again, looks like one of these guys who was born age born talk talking like this, and also looking, you know, sixty four all his he, life. Yeah. This is a good dec- this is a good dec- decade and a bit before heart to heart, and he looks exactly the same. Yeah, precisely the same. Slightly a little, maybe a little bit more kind of reddish brown hair around the temples, but he's the same. He's exactly the same. Um, couple of small things. Like, I mean, the names of the books, just to give an idea. So Mickey King, pulp fiction writer. Kill me gently. My gun is long. Knee trembler. Um, his pseudonyms: Guy Strange, Gary Ruff, Dean Wild. Larry Bean. I, I don't get Larry Bean, I'll be honest. Um Susan Eager. Paul S. Was it not, les- was it not lesbian, no? No, Larry Bean. I thought it was lesbian was another was another one of the authors. Lesbian. <laughs> so I think maybe you're autocorrect. Did you did you disorder there? Okay. I think it did. You're right, lesbian. You're right. That makes more sense. <laughs> Larry Bean. I swear to God, this movie has just eaten parts of my brain that I thought were kind of fairly safe for the next few years. O.R. Gan is another one. S. Adami. Um, yeah, Mike Hodges was really bringing oh his brain. These. Um, the good news, though, the good news is, as I pointed out a couple of movies ago, Kane went off the cigarettes a while back there. He's still on the truths. Um, Although I got to say, he buries a vodka and tonic in one goal like a hero at one point in this film. Um, I'm sure it was just plain water, but I tell you, he showed, he showed the form of a man who was well able to hit the hard stuff hard if he needed to. Um, oh god yeah <laughs> it is that kind of movie there's a lot of old gods in it um anything else to say it wasn't a hit uh yeah so it's no shock it didn't do well it's it's shit yeah um, it's, it's terrible you i mean even the movie going audience in 1972 had better things to go watch than uh mick Cain again descend down the slippery greasy pole of excrement into a pit of mediocrity yeah, the best the best you could say about it is it's pulled by name, it's pulled by nature. You, you're either gonna li- you're gonna kind of like it in some on some level, or you don't. It's a bit marmite, and I def I just didn't like. It's just not my kind of flick. It's just not good. And I think do you know what? When you're watching it, 
what I found anyway. And you know, like, this is the Carter team. And it's not that you want them to keep making get Carter, but you just think there's a level of quality here, like, that should be hit again. And also, when you think, okay, there have been previous films where Kane might have been kind of railroaded into them or bounced into them. But this was one that he saw the script and went, yeah, I like this. Let's go. So, like, it's his fault. It's his fault. It's his fault. Mike Hodges should have known better. It's like I was saying to you, this is essentially like Spielberg going from Close Encounters to 1941. Yes. It's not your wheel out, Stephen. Don't go anywhere near comedy. You're grand. Sam, Mike, Hodges, just just fucking dreadful. Look, if you, ha- if you haven't seen it and you're listening to this and you're interested in seeing it, if you want to watch a movie that sounds like the dialogue was, or the script was written in Albanian and then showed tr- through Google Translate, uh, it looks like it was shot in one of those eight millimeter cameras by your granny mm-hmm. um, and features again, lesbian Jarvis Cocker doing a quick shimmy. And the, that guy who used to star with Judy, Gar- uh, Judy Garland, but spend most of his la- later career going on about how much sex he had with uh, various different starlets. Mm-hmm. And this is the movie movie for you. That's a very, I know there's a very, very thin kind of, you know, there's a very small audience for that. It's kind of. It's an even smaller niche than this podcast. But yeah, I think yeah, it's I think the it's, best trailer. It's a better trailer than the original trailer. I could, I'd, I'd watch yeah. that movie. Yeah. Do you ever read that stuff that Mickey, Ricky Rooney, like Ricky Rooney said about, you know, like, just, geez, like, you know, he was a small, a small, small man. But my God, talk about overcompensation in his writings going on about Ava. You know, he's married to. Uh, Ava Gardner mm. um, and like going on about her voracious sexual appetite and to, you know, God, Jesus, man, have the fucking dignity about yourself. And then you go look at him in this, you kind of go, Ooh, dignity in him probably, you know, the yeah. same dignity, dignity for him was like the, the, the top shelf in any room he went into. Always out of reach. <laughs> at one stage in this, he, uh, he, he plays it for last in his underpants trying to pull his gut in and do various different things like that and it very I mean this actually coincides around the same time as um, Kane dancing so maybe I enjoyed that scene a little bit more than I would have if Kane hadn't just been dancing where are we on the you're good on this now the Kane ratio of clangers to classics so like where are we uh, he's uh, and remind us what is his what his race what's his safe ratio again so yeah five to one ratio uh, you get away with five bad movies to one good one which is I mean if you'd be dead meat uh, these days you wouldn't survive two in a row I think these days your career is over and done with mm-hmm. so he's had get Carter big thumbs up he's then gone to Kidnapped which is bleh, bleh. and then you've gone to Zianco which is bleh. and now you've gone to Pulp which is bleh. <laughs> uh, so he's he's again on yet another downwards uh, spiral uh, he's helter-skeltering towards the bottom of uh, what we now call the direct-to-DVD or direct-to-streaming mm-hmm. uh, pile so so, what are you giving in marks out of Kane? We're not marking the film, we're marking the performance as always. So, what are you giving for Pulp? I didn't hate it as much as Zian Co. He may have been better than Zian Co, but I I didn't hate this as much. So, I'm giving it a two. A two. two. Marks out of Kane. And I'm just going to put this in context now to, to, just to, just to uh, make it right. All decisions are final. All decisions are final. Um, yeah. like, we're, we're, sure. we're, we're saying it's as bad as the wrong box and it's worse than the Battle of Britain performance. Yeah, I think that's fair. You're saying that? Okay, well, I go along with that too. Too. It's a shocker. It's a shocker. So, yeah, it does feel like we're on a bit of a spiral, as you said, like a proper cane spiral. But could this be the moment he has to slide? Well, once again, 
He pulls it out of the fire. His next film, he gets a Best Supporting Actor nomination at the Oscars for, although he got his last one for Alfie, and that was one really large bucket of awful. But yes. we will hope for great things, as always, as he stars in his next movie opposite Sir Lawrence Olivier in Sleuth. It's a real game and a real murder. There's absolutely no point in playing another pretend game. Isn't that right? As they, say, as they say, the darkest hour is always before the dawn, so I'm looking forward to, to Mick pulling, pulling this one out of the, the, the fire again, or putting his career out of the fire again. Uh, Larry, Larry Olivier, who we last saw him in, with the battle, bat, not in the same scene, but in the Battle of Britain. That's right. Look, looking yeah. very worried for long stretches of the film, as I recall. I'm very worried. I'm very, I'm very worried. worried. I'm very I think we're being quite careless. I, Jenny's I, coming over in numbers that we can't even contemplate. I don't think our butterfly nets are working very well. My goodness, I hope enough treacle has been delivered to London. Otherwise, we may never see the war through. <laughs> so, Great yeah. Winston Churchill's underpants, they're coming oh. in waves greater than we could ever have thought. See, this is the kind of primo gold we should have had for the Battle of Britain pod. But look, Absolutely. That's gone, and we are certainly not rewinding. So, look, go watch Sleuth. When I fought the Red Bat Baron at the Battle of Van Battenberg, oh, I displayed more testicular fortitude than these men flying today. <laughs> I'm just going to keep talking. He might just stop. Um, I'm going to invite you to watch Sleuth because I think it's a good movie. But you know what? If you don't, don't worry about it. Come back. We're going to I have not seen Sleuth. I have not I seen have... Sleuth, but I will I, I will take up your invitation and watch it before the yes, next podcast. Freaking, yes, you freaking will. You're not going to start climbing down this mountain. You're not leaving me up here on my own. We're watching it. We're watching the Ah, whole... fuck this. W- w- wiki notes from now on. Oh, I did watch this movie directed by starring... I well to be honest, I think you've I, I assumed you were getting by like that for the last half dozen. But No, I have more integrity than that. Thank you very much. I'm glad to hear it. Okay. I'm a team player. Listen, go away, seeking you go watch it. Enjoy Sleuth. It is meant to be an excellent movie. Uh, and we'll come back here next time and we'll go through Kane's performance in Sleuth. And as usual, if you have any questions for us regarding Sleuth that you'd like to hear read out in the podcast listened to by, and we've yet, it's yet to be confirmed, but we can only assume millions, then DM either myself or Mick or at MarcoCane2 on Twitter, and we'll do our best to answer it as sincerely as possible. Sincerely is right, Stephen. Sincerely is right. Thank you very much. Take care. Bye-bye. That's it for this week's episode. Thanks for listening. Make sure to like and subscribe. Um, maybe leave a comment. Only nice ones, though. Mean comments will make Alfie cry, and no one wants to see that. The Marco Kane podcast is written, researched, and presented by Stephen Black and Michael Foley, and edited by Andrew Foley. Music is composed by Stephen Black. If you'd like to get in touch, you'll find us on Twitter at, at Mallow News and at Marco Kane 2 And if you enjoyed this episode, you'll find all the rest wherever you get your podcasts. The Marco Kane is a Mallow News 2 Cubes production. See you next time. Oh.